Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the AEW Rampage Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dadly Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture, to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of AEW Rampage. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Rampage, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT 2.0 pay per views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete. With a bloody quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Sidgwick to review AEW Rampage and a jam-packed show this week. I mean, it was a jam-packed show, but I only really, truly cared about one thing, and that's becoming the take that we have every single week. And I think on a macro level, I don't think I'll ever get as jazzed for rampage like i will dynamite and i don't know if it's just because of the taped aspect mm. like look this is just a subjective thing objectively and i know the recent ratings uh decline might support this but i don't think so historically it'll be a new trend certainly because aw dynamite was so good for two hours for so long that it made the way towards the next wednesday evening slash thursday morning so long for so many people, people thought, oh, Rampage, one hour, it's not an imposition a la Thunder, they've nailed it, sweet spot, um, there's always one or two matches I get rushed, this will allow it to breathe, etc, etc. It turns out they just nailed the two hours so perfectly because you wanted to wait the week. Now it's like, I'd rather just wait the week. Hamlet said this a while back when we were talking about Rampage, he said, you never want to get to a point when you're like, I've had enough AEW for the week. Is that what you No, no, absolutely. Like, there's always one thing. And I think strategically, this is what they are doing with the show. This week is an exception. I think it was a bit... I know the MLB kind of take a, took a big chunk out of the ratings. But this week was different in that they had a big CM Punk match, which is still a big novelty. And they had a blow-off to a long simmering grudge match. So this week did feel like a strategic departure from recent weeks where it was like... Here's one awesome thing and one thing that we know you don't care about, but as long as we get a really strong number for the first quarter, if it dips, it dips, it's fine. Yeah, this felt like I should have wanted to watch it way more mm. because CM Punk match on television, the fact that those words are coming out of my mouth still feels like a big 
cool novelty plus something that theoretically people have invested in for months at the main event side of things. And I still just don't have that dynamite feeling. I don't know if it's a weekend thing. Do you think it's going to be different this week with Dynamite being on the Saturday? So it'll be the first taste of a get a taste of AEW be the Friday night potentially. But I've never felt as high on Rampage as I have the two weeks I went live. There might have been an extra week I went li- went yeah. live. I can't remember. But the first dance and the first, in fact, episode overall when they went live, it just has this different feeling. Um, and again, as I said, that's a subjective viewpoint. All historical data shows that in terms of ratings live and taped, minimal difference between the two. But in terms of my subjective buzz and appreciation, well, anticipation rather, I just feel like it's it just means so much more um, when it's live. The shows themselves, as we've said, like one hour feels dynamite worthy. Sorry, one segment feels dynamite worthy. Most weeks there's some sub-dark elevation stuff. The weekend stuff might not help, you know. Like even, like SmackDown does really good ratings by modern WWE standards. And generally speaking, objectively, it's the most watched show of the week. And yet, because it's a weekend, I'm not buzzing about talking about wrestling in a weekend. I've got different things to do, you know. So maybe all of this is bad subjective analysis. But yeah, Rampage doesn't feel like it did it the first week. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 a it, like you say, it's a high bar to be comparing itself to. But you would want some improvement. Uh, just generally in terms of the booking. I suppose, I was going to say, it's a bit difficult to potentially sell tickets to it, but then I suppose if you hoy in a few mad dark matches and AEW dark matches and AEW, you know, other matches, it, it shouldn't be that difficult. Logistically, though, it makes, uh, it, on a level that I don't really want to think about the thing that I really like, on a strategic, practical level, this is worth so much to AEW, and I don't think there's n- any reason to change it. They've got one building on the week when it's taped, like rolling your production trucks into a new town, hiring a venue, all of this costs money. Yeah. It's money for nothing, basically, because what they're doing is they are doing the same amount of hours, if not a few more, but they've got a bigger roster, so what does it matter? The same amount of hours as they've always done their operation, at least beyond before and after, hopefully, the pandemic. They are just basically taping an extra hour of dark, except they're calling it Rampage, and they're getting a really, really considerably great rights fee for it. So for their logistical, we are promoting shows and live events point of view, there's no reason whatsoever for them to just do it live so that people like me, who, again, this doesn't inform the ratings patterns, can say, oh, I'd rather watch it live so I don't feel like I've already yeah. seen and can take it or leave it. Look, the first segment here was brilliant. Everything else feels a little bit dark elevation. Yeah, let's talk about that. The show started uh, with the highly anticipated match between CM Punk and Daniel Garcia, preceded uh, by the back-and-forth split-screen interview. Uh, Daniel Garcia flanked by Dubai. Oh! Shooting on CM Punk, saying that he walked away from wrestling when the focus wasn't on him anymore. Uh, Daniel Garcia also chips in that uh, he's only doing what 23-year-old CM Punk would have done and he's going to put an end to Punk tonight. Punk wasn't happy happy about all that. He said, I don't care about all that. I didn't uh, leave and then come back to the world of wrestling. The world of wrestling came back to me. And uh, the reason he's facing Daniel Garcia is not because, you know, he's this wily little git. He's facing him genuinely because of his skill. And he called 2.0 the Nasty Broys Little Brothers. And uh, he said, look, you tried to jump me in Chicago, so tonight I'm going to beat you 
in Philadelphia. And then it was time for the ma- uh, the opening match. <laughs> Double duty here for Mark Henry. I mean, Christ is earning his bloody money. Jesus Christ. I mean, I know he does stuff backstage, but my God, it just feels like him and White were a big waste of money in retrospect. Mm, indeed. Um, long tights, Punk, before we get into the match. Thoughts? My thoughts are this match was so great that I have made my peace with the long boys. As I, thought, I was going to say, I th- saw a regular contributor, I think it was Fraser Cranium, uh, tweeting you about this, and you didn't go two-footed on him complaining about this, so I thought you well, might have your mind. Fraser Cranium is an absolutely lovely bloke. Indeed. So I'm not going to go two-footed. And as I said, like, I've come around to long boys punk. I still think he looks like an older wrestler coming back for a run in the long boys, whereas, and I know that's the story for now, right? So that's fine. It's all very mirrored in the aesthetic mirrors the story. I'm always a huge mark for that. But at the same time, it's all about projecting yourself like a star, ultimately. And he looked way more like a star in Arthur Ashe Stadium, even though he wrestled a better match here. Just, he looks ever so slightly not right. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, and I understand the whole deal is, like Jericho champions his philosophy all the time. When you're coming to a new promotion, or you're turning heel, or you're making your return, or you're just involved in the brand new storyline, disassociate people from the last thing that you mm. did. And I guess that's what he's trying to do, but at the same time, just... He looks ever so slightly awkward in those long boys. But again, this match was so great that I grew accustomed to them. This match will still be better if he wears trunks. And, yeah, I'm, the, and I'm not being facetious. To be fair, the options are wear a top. That's not happening. Trunks. That's not disassociating himself from what he looked like before. Fight shorts. Don't make people make parallels between you and fight yes, shorts. And don't the remind UFC. them Do of not that. talk like that. Jorts and trousers. So we're, we are where we yeah, are. Yeah, if he wears the ROH deals as well, it looks like nostalgia too much. Mm. Tell you what, you should Just do. wear the trunks and look your best. You should just do the uh, Angel Garza thing. Wear the, wear the, and then rip, whip them off halfway through. We have to peel them off so it wouldn't work as well. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about this match because there was uh, a technical aspect to this, not very often seen. Um, I, I thought the well, what did you think of the uh, great fundamentals? Like just absolutely, it was so good, fabulous fundamentals. Yeah, the story of this match played out in relation to that. Basically, uh, Punk immediately early on going for a heel hook. Uh, Garcia has to get to the ropes. I did like the bit where Garcia lands a chop in Punk's face on the corner and sort of gets into it. So Punk just slaps the taste out of his mouth off the back of it. Punk uh, goes to the GTS, but with the help of 2.0, uh, Garcia manages to escape and uh, brilliant. Just so good as a bastard tag team. One of them texts the referee. The other one slams Punk's leg against the ring, against the ring post. Uh, rinse and repeat a few times here as we go to a picture-in-picture. Picture. We come back, and Garcia is using the uh, weakening of Punk's legs to uh, to dominate and to work him over on them. Uh, Punk starts making a comeback, uh, but uh, Garcia cuts it off often by kicking the leg out of his leg. Uh, Punk catches him, though, with a knee strike and finally starts firing up. Bionic elbow, stiff kicks, goes for a short-arm clothesline, but Garcia counters into an angle slam, really like that. Uh, Garcia goes for the um, sharpshooter, I believe it was, Scorpion Deathlock, one of those, uh, but Punk gets out of it, hits a clothesline, goes to the GTS, but Garcia rolls through, and uh, Punk uh, gets stuck in the Scorpion Deathlock again, almost makes it to the ropes, gets out, Garcia 
pulls pulls into the center ring. That's when he manages just to escape, uh, and then he sends Garcia into the two members of uh, 2.0, Matt and Jeff, as they were up on the apron. Then, uh, as they're on the outside, Punk hits a huge crossbody to all three of them. Gets back in. He hits a springboard clothesline. A picture perfect pile driver. And who could have called this? Not me. Uh, (laughs) Submits Daniel Garcia with the Anaconda Vice. uh, Gets the victory. And uh, yet another great outing for Punk here. I adored this. Um, This is his first truly great match, I think. I think the Darby Allen match was very good. Heightened by the atmosphere, the emotion, the novelty, everything. Mm. Um, But strictly speaking... I mean, I loved it. I, don't th- I wouldn't consider it a great match. It was very good, and sometimes emotion occasions with considerably more than a quote-unquote great match. The Powerhouse Hobbs, I think, was more admirable with little moments of really nice work without being this really great nor massively productive match. I didn't come out of it thinking a veteran has given loads to a breakthrough act and the breakthrough act as a result feels like this major deal. Like, I didn't really feel that. This was just class... I adored this match. I thought it was tremendous. What I loved most about it was that it was paced so brilliantly that this kind of really intricate... It wasn't grapple, but it folded in the best part of grapple fuck. Grapple fuck. Just in case people didn't didn't get my meaning there. In that all of the limb work was incredibly intricate. CM Punk's selling of it was blinding. There was the move when... um, Garcia got his leg at that awful angle where it's just like one long like plank almost and then bent it the other way around the knee and CM Punk hobbled around that ring like he was genuinely broken by it. But that's the thing, I was just so in love with it because the pacing of the match was such that it never dwindled at that sort of methodical, intricate pace that grapple matches can but at the same time, the pace of it, despite being like really hot and like, it just never felt like it was too boring or the effects of how gruesome the contortions that Garcia applied. They never felt undersold. No, he, there was a bit where he hit, uh, I want to say, some sort of spin kick on uh, on Garcia as he finally got a bit of space. And Garcia took this wonderful bump and Punk, rather than like diving on top of him, it was basically like, I've hit this spin kick, but that's because there was no weight on my leg. And the moment I try and put weight on my leg to, like, capitalize on this, oh, bollocks, yeah, no, that's why, because he bent my knee sideways sort of thing. Yeah, no, I just think everything was absolutely tremendous in terms of how it was paced, sold, worked. Just a great broadening of a quite niche style that, as we've discussed on these pods, like, sometimes you see Deeb working on Dynamite against Sheeta, and I know the star power element isn't the same at all, but... With FTR, like fans can sometimes get lost by a lot of this intricate work that realistically, it's not just the work is involved. It's not just the fact that the house style is um, so spectacular mm. and or bloody a lot of the time between the Young Bucks and John Moxley and Kenny Omega and Eddie Kingston and Lance Archer. Like you get so much plunder violence and so much athletic excitement that sometimes like a match of this genre like will get lost. Mm. This didn't at all. I know the fact that CM Punk is a huge star. 
like really would have transcended. They wouldn't get bored because they're watching CM Punk. But like arena wrestling in general, you have to be an amazing storyteller with an immaculate grasp of pace for and like really great at the actual craft of making it look like it hurt. Like CM Punk genuinely, I thought, Christ almighty, his, his knees have genuinely been battered here. Yeah. He can't actually walk anymore. It just turns out his selling performance is incredible. It's really hard to project that kind of story to the arenas. And yet again, it's a CM Punk-Bret Hart comparison. Bret Hart worked a very intricate style where he slowly, strategically dissected legs of often much larger opponents. Mm, mm. And yet, he was so good at building a match and pacing a match that a generation of fans who were like, oh, I still like this, even though Hulk Hogan's left. Like, they weren't like Japanese pro wrestling fans mm. or, you know, like male NWA fans who were going mad for a Ric Flair epic. Mm. These were like still young WWF fans. But because Bret Hart was so great at his craft, he, and I've said this before, but he's kind of taught people the language of pro wrestling mm. and CM Punk's doing something quite similar. Um, this match was great. Paced immaculately. Some of the counters were exquisite. Everything logically built on what had preceded it. Daniel Garcia is going to be a megastar, isn't he? Daniel it? Garcia was incredible. Like, Daniel Garcia as well, like, his little... I don't know, it's easy, low-hanging fruit to get a rise out of a, an arena full of people that's firmly on side with CM Punk. But just the little things where he knows where the camera's going to be, straight to the hard camera, mocking the go-to-sleep thing with that, like, really smug grin. I like that bit where he, he took him, he hit a camera, what, and what movie he hit? He hit something, maybe a slam or something, and then he took a moment to be like... <sighs> Well, I just thought that was just wonderful. The spaces between moves, the yeah. things that you do when, you know, when people might not be looking. I just really adored that. One more thing before we move on to the next thing. That face he pulled, Garcia, when he was doing the go to sleep, so smarmy and punchable, and it's so effective. And I know this from personal experience. You'll like, you'll, you'll like this one, Wilborn. Um, I've got an older sister. When you're the younger brother and you're, like, younger, your kids, like, your objective is you want to look better in front of your parents than your siblings. So mm -hmm. You get the treats first. You get your tea first. You get the perks. So because you get I'm, the remote. Yeah, as a little bastard. Like, So I would try and annoy my sister. And if I was like being naughty or whatever, or just whatever, I would look at her with like the small grin on my face like this. <laughs> and she would go, oh, piss off. Go, You're not allowed to swear, Suzanne. Get to your room. Right? Don't have to watch My Little Pony anymore, bitch. Because I... <laughs> Have worked you yeah. into getting that reaction. And I just saw myself and Daniel Garcia, which, you know, he's a piece, so I didn't really. But <laughs> my God, like, what a little bastard. What a great wrestler he already is. He already is, and he's going to be, yeah, 2.0. I thought running interference was, was spot on. Uh, on Those that. little, like, TV-style wrestling trope accompaniments were so, like, seamless in terms of, mm. like, they didn't detract from the work. They just added to the drama. Oh, yeah, technical masterclass, great fornomel. Great fornomel. And a uh, quick word on the Anaconda device coming back. Well, it's great because the whole idea is you pitched it, so it's great. <laughs> but no, like speaking seriously, the whole idea, the story of the match is that Daniel Garcia, they want a perfect opponent at the perfect time. They know what they're doing, this company. He slowly dissected both knees, not just so he couldn't hit the GTS to its full effect, but he could barely stand up. Mm. Like Taz noted, oh, he made a mistake here because he's going for the other leg. And then he corrected himself and said, no, he's going for both. He's not trying to diminish the knee strike. He's trying to just not allow CM Punk Take to have that base. base. So 
He did one thing after firing up, which is always allowed. If you fire up, you can fight through the pain with a pile driver. And he thought, I probably can't stand up again because my knees have been um, battered. So what can I do? Oh, I've got this anaconda vice in my locker. The one move he couldn't do because his opponent had strategically prevented him from doing so. He had an additional finisher. Great stuff. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We go backstage and Tony Schiavone is there. He's uh, chatting with Dante Martin, Matt Seidel, and the uh, new accompaniment to these two men, the 26-year-old piece of gold. I want to be a cowboy, baby. baby. Uh, Leo Rush, um, Leo Rush, He's being accused of being a con man, basically, by Matt Seidel, filling Martin's head with false promises. Uh, and uh, Russia, I think out of all of us here, the only one yet to prove their value is you, Matt Seidel. Why don't you prove it next week with a match with CM Punk? Seidel actually really happy about that, and uh, Excalibur later on confirmed that was the case. Oh, Evan Bourne versus CM Punk. Yes, please. I like the destinations. And I like the reason why these destinations are happening. One, to give you another great CM Punk match. Two, Leo Rush in making this match and having Matt Seidel inevitably lose it can then have a better position with which to corrupt Dante Martin and say, this guy, you know, he's going to lead you down a loser's path. I'll mm. make you money, I'll make it stop, blah, 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 blah. It helps that's not on the same night enormously. I still don't really like the idea of the talent making matches. This has happened a few times in mm. AEW, and they're usually better at a bad trope. Um, when Vicky Guerrero decided, oh, I want a match, I'm thinking, no, you don't, mm. but you have to. She said, Tony Khan is a favor for me personally recruiting Andrade into the promotion, says I can have a match with you, Britt Baker and um, Reba. What a fucking piece of shit that was. <laughs> I still didn't like that, but come on, you've given us a reason for it to happen. Like, I don't know why talent's making matches here, but the storyline development springing from it will be good. The match will be very good. And the match at the very end of it, Dante Martin versus oh. Rush, will be absolutely tits. Yeah, I, I like the question already of, like, is Leo Rush and this, this con man? Probably. Yes. <laughs> but 
Yeah, I like to watch him slowly corrupt someone who's quite as pure as Dante Martin as well. Right, we've got the tag titles on the line next. It was the Lucha Bros versus the Acclaimed. Uh, some nice lines from Max Caster here. Packing heat like Arn Anderson. Uh, takes a shot at uh, the Philadelphia 76ers. Ben Simmons, as I'm told, shoots on Rocky Balboa in Philadelphia and gives a mention to Gritty. Do you know what Gritty looks like, by the way? The Philadelphia Flyers mascot. Because if you don't, the fact that you're not giving me a straight answer tells me you haven't seen him. Because once you've seen him once, you will never forget what he looks like. Any Philly uh, listeners? I don't know what Gritty looks like. Let me show you this. Well, don't, because if you're talking Grit, I'll see Edge. I don't want to see him again. I've already reviewed SmackDown this week. I'm glad you're sitting down for this. This, remember, a mascot is to do is there to do what? It's supposed to be like a fun little thing for the kids, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, just a little, uh, oh, yeah. That's what Gritty looks like. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Gritty looks pissed. And also, uh, I courtesy of last week tonight with John Oliver, he's been featured quite heavily, he's got quite an aggressive social media uh, presence. There was another mascot, like, going at him, going like, oh, yeah, we'll see you on see you on Sunday sort of thing. You know, a little bit of friendly banter. And he tweeted, sleep with one eye open, bird. I mean, that's the man that'll kill you in your sleep, isn't it? But the Philly fans are notoriously, like... Raggies, to use a Geordie expression, like they are up for it, the pretty aggressive sports fans. Sorry, read that headline for me, please. Gritty Vindicated. That's what's like when Ryan Satin is the only journalist to praise the WrestleMania 36 <laughs> match with their <laughs> Randy Orton. That was Grit Vindicated, all right. Gritty Vindicated. Philadelphia Flyers mascot cleared of punching China. <laughs> I mean, if anyone's going to be accused of it, it's going to be Gritty. But I appreciated that that reference anyway from Max Caster. Uh, we've got uh, Lucha Bros you know, belt collectors now. Uh, AW and AAA tag team titles, of course, with them. Uh, the acclaimed jump the Lucha Bros before we even get started. Caster sends Phoenix into the ring post before the match even gets going. Uh, later on, they're setting up uh, Lucha Bros, this is, to do that double dive. Um, and whilst uh, Penta is being held on to by Caster, Phoenix dives through the ropes at Bowens, who surprises him with a boombox shot to take him out of the match. And that means the acclaimed can basically take control. Numbers game against Penta. Uh, they even got a near fall off that double team leg sweep of theirs. Eventually, Phoenix finally comes back in and Rex Bowens with a few kicks. Caster comes in, he gets a hook kick for his troubles. Phoenix hits a cutter on Bowens for a near fall. Uh, Caster comes back with a super kick, and Phoenix takes this wild old bump. Uh, in the midst of all this as well, I think Phoenix managed to hit a double cutter on both of them. Anyway, the acclaimed have Phoenix set up for the mic drop from Caster. Bowens has got him down on the floor. Caster's climbing the turnbuckles, but Penta pushes Caster off the top, hits that double foot stomp on Bowens, and then they hit the double team paddle driver. One, two, three. The Lucha Bros retain at the tag titles in a fairly straightforward effort, even though the acclaimed did get a good bit of offense in. Indeed. Um, look. The nicest thing I can possibly say about this instantly forgettable match is one, there wasn't too much of a styles clash nor a huge gulf between the quality of the respective teams. I liked how I wasn't patronized with a 12-minute match that got boring at parts. From a character point of view, I really liked that the acclaimed just simply realized, we're screwed. <laughs> we're not as good as these. Let's just try and cheat to win very quickly. And they got their asses handed them in like five minutes. It didn't overstay its welcome. But when I say things like this, like, I mean, 
I wasn't thrilled or moved or excited by it. It's just, it could have gone a bit worse and a bit more boring. I don't need any more tag title shots out of nowhere from teams who bumped up their records on dark, is what we're saying. I mean, it's I'd rather that than just, here's a team working another team, but at the same time, it just feels... What's the point? There was not a doubt in my mind that they were retaining these tag titles. Yeah, and I think, well, the promotion knew that, hence why this only went five or six minutes. Mm. Um, yeah, just this might as well have not happened. I don't like things that might as well have not happened. But the existence of Rampage means there's going to be more of these things. But a good little showcase for, for Bowens and Caster to sound incredibly patronising to them, I realise. Yeah, it was harried. It was a bit of fun. Yeah. I expect more from a tag team title match. The books made everything feel less... I mean, it was fun because the books are massively entertaining, but they had a they had an ability to make everything feel momentous, even when the uh, mm. result was cast iron. Like, I've not felt that with the Lucha Bros so far with this title run. Uh, next up, it was Sky Blue versus Jade Cargill, preceded by a lot of the people uh, campaigning to win that TVS championship, of course. Jade Cargill, not happy that Sky Blue's even being considered... Uh, that bitch show, I think she... I can't remember what exactly. That's what it is, uh, But anyway, <laughs> that that probably lasted as long as the match itself. It went about 60-odd seconds. Uh, Cargill just dominated. Fall away, slam, pump kick. Hits that jaded finish of her uh, to nail Sky Blue, like I said, in very short order. Post-match, she goes to beat her down even more. But Thunderosa arrives to send her packing, uh, courtesy of uh, waving around a steel chair, basically. Domination. I mean, just a total squash. Mm. Very little else to say. I love Jay Cargill. I love the fact she keeps winning. So I do. I do. Uh, look, they are clearly pushing her. My bet is that it's her versus Soho in the finals, and I think I'm just willing that into existence because if anyone can get like a proper actual match, I mean, Jay Cargill had a really good match against Red Velvet, so she can actually go. Um, inconsistently, but she can go. But I do think Ruby Soho versus Jade Cargill is the best final. Also liked in the midst of this match, briefly spotting a sign that just said, Fat Mark Sterling. What? The music's in good shape. I know. I thought it'd be a better play on the words of smart Mark Sterling than just, what about Fat Mark Sterling? Come on. Improve your post again. We got, we got. We can do better than this. Improve your signs. Uh, right, we get the uh, again face to face, side by side thing before the main event uh, with Ricky Starks and Brian Cage. Um, Stark said he was going to whoop Cage's ass. Cage said he can stick it to Team Taz and show that that Ricky hasn't proven a damn thing. He just keeps ducking him week after week after week. Uh, he said, nobody's better than Brian Cage, especially Ricky Starks. And then it was time for the main event, the Philly street fight between the two of them. Um, Starks comes down with a steel chair, but uh, Brian Cage pretty much immediately uh, after the match starts, gets it, uses it to nail Starks in the back, who sells brilliantly. They go out to the floor uh, and Cage hoys him into the barricade, drops him on the ring apron with a nice back suplex as well. Uh, Ricky Starks has, has done something that, did something that I could say, I've taken that. He hit, uh, or no, maybe Cage hit Starks. One of them hit the other one with a pull cue. And as a man who got that done to him, it was a gimmick pull cue in the What Culture office, I'll admit that. I'll tell you that that was me for the day. So, hard boys, these. It was Starks who did it, and it was glorious, and it was one of the few things in the Smash that I thought was really any good. Yeah, I uh, I got twatted with one of them for some video, and I thought, I've 
can't be that bad and complained about it for the rest of the week. So, yeah, fair you, play. You repeated something throughout the week. I know, madness. Anyway, moving on. Uh, we go to picture-in-picture picture break. I felt a bit sorry for them in picture-in-picture picture break because uh, the ad break, I don't know whether it's because I was watching the picture-in-picture picture and watching them just, like, wail on each other and, you know, hit each other with trash can legs or pipes or chains or whatever or just hit huge moves. And it's like, I know that whenever there's a picture-in-picture, picture, stuff's going on and whatever bumping you do is not going to be, you know, nice. But it just felt especially, it felt like an especially long ad break, this, where I was like, poor bastards are like murdering each other. Obviously, there's people there enjoying it, but even so, uh, we come back. Uh, we come back. Ricky Starks is hitting Brian Cage uh, with a chain. He's got wrapped around his fist. He uh, gets a trash can leg, lid and drop, uh, leg drops it, sorry, on Brian Cage's head. Uh, eventually, he sets up, I don't know what he was going to go for here, but I was I was intrigued. He sets up the trash can in front of Brian Cage. I don't know whether he's going to drop kick it into him or something. Either way, he runs it in. Brian Cage pops up, hits him with a super kick, and then pump handle suplexes him into the trash can, gets a near fall. Taz has a damn near heart attack uh, on commentary. And then, of course, in comes uh, Powerhouse Hobbs. Before that, though, Hook runs down with the FTW belt. Cage just Batters him with a clothesline. Hobbs gets taken out as well. But in the midst of all that, Starks has managed to grab the belt. He hits Cage with it, spears him, gets what he thinks is going to be the victorious pinfall. But Cage kicks out of two. Starks can't believe it. He sets up for a second spear. Cage ducks. Uh, Starks runs headfirst into a chair that's been wedged into the corner. Cage lines up, hits that discus lariat. He's got the match won, but Hobbs breaks up the pin attempt. Cage goes to superplex Hobbs off the top, but Hook runs in. Hoys him in the bollocks, and Starks, who's come up all bloody now, picks him up, hits the Rochambeau. One, two, three. Ricky Starks retains the FTW title. Taz couldn't be happier. He runs from commentary, celebrates with his boys, and Team Taz stand happy, or, you know, at least victorious and bloody, in the case of Ricky Starks, as the show closes. This was quite fun at points, but I never really felt like this was some electrifying, animosity-fueled proper blow off it was just kind of like a fun tv match and again like the more you do a lot of things i talk about this in wwe reviews all the live long goddamn day the more you do things to like this is a different example but the more you do things to just piss people off and piss people off and piss people off and just make them give no reason to invest at all everything adds up to a point where you're like ah i don't care about this promotion anymore <laughs> this genuinely suffered because We've seen loads of violence. Like, if there's one criticism, I think, of Tony Khan, and there's not, there's more than one, but not many, is that he, isn't he, he's an ECW guy. Like, he loves violence. He loves plunder. He loves stips. Like, once you see someone getting, like, Frankensteined through a pane of glass on TV, <laughs> once you see Archer putting the two seats of a chair together and choke slam and moxley through it once you see like an abundance of barbed wire glass like they were hoying chair shots in each other's head and blood and guts when you get a fairly tame diminished return like tacked onto a match that i think a lot of people were like jesus christ is this worthy of the mm, saga yeah. of the build i think just this is a victim of aw's penchant for uh, excessive violence because a lot of this is quite tame. Mm. In isolation, like if 
I don't know if they listen to this, but like Cage and Stark's probably hurting from this match. And oh, thinking, absolutely. Thinking, piss off. No, it wasn't. <laughs> but like, I'm just saying, relative, it is. Like, I'm not a goldfish. Like, I remember things and a lot of things like that I've seen inform my opinion, not being a goldfish. So I just felt like this was lacking compared to some of the stuff we've seen in a. Uh, I mean, the goddamn unsanctioned match was. I mean, the unsanctioned match was in February of this year. We've seen an unsanctioned match that was along similar lines and suffered for many of the same reasons. I did love the cool pool cue spot. I, anything in a match like this that feels like it's just like a taunt and a move all at once, something other than someone getting brained in the head. All my praise in this match, realistically, wasn't just the pool um, cue shot. Like, Ricky Starks went head first, like he sprinted head first. It was almost like Sean Stasiak tier. <laughs> yes. In terms of how to like just sprint into a weapon for a great spot. It's the nicest thing anyone's ever said about Sean Stasiak, <laughs> I expect. I mean, in terms of his wrestling career, he might be a great chiropractor. That's mm-hmm. apparently what he is now. That's absolutely fair enough. Whatever. This was okay. This is only okay. And I'll tell you what else is interesting before we conclude is that I'm speculating here. And I should caveat, I am speculating. Mm-hmm. If you look at the way AEW books, and if you look at the direction that you suspect is coming, I think that Punk versus Starks is coming. I agree. And the CM Punk versus Team Taz stuff hasn't been resolved. Isn't it funny how when Team Taz came to um, just gang up on Brian Cage, who showed me very little in this match. I thought his movements were laboured. I thought he didn't have much fire. And I think, like, at one point he did the whole... What I'm doing there is doing the baby face, saying, come on, come on with the hands, like, Mm. wiggling the fingers. That's the only thing he did. It was the most bare minimum thing I've ever seen, to be honest. To, like, get the crowd on board. Like, he's very laboured, very sluggish. Like, nothing he did looked that cool. Like, Mm. Brian Cage's thing is... His stuff looks really cool and explosive, but he just looks like he's gotten too swole. Um, but isn't it funny how when he was getting beaten up and beaten up by Team Taz, he's got no mates. He's got not even the friend of my enemy is my friend. Like CM Punk did nothing here. <laughs> Usually when they tell these kinds of stories concurrently, there's like, I've got a catchphrase for it. Don't hear it. Mm. Deft dovetailing booking. Deft dovetailing booking here between Punk and Cage's respective stuff with Team Taz didn't happen. Because <laughs> do we th- do we think Punk just said, I don't want to have anything to do with this, just finish it off and I'll resume my stuff with Team Taz? Yeah. Because usually, nine times out of ten, they know when they're telling two stories at once. They usually tell two stories at once on purpose. It's it, I just felt it very... It'll be even more damning in terms of how Brian Cage is perceived if, in fact... Punk versus Team Taz resumes, and the uh, those two plot developments just never correlated. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I, I've been a big detractor from this feud for quite some time. I think they did the best that they could do. I think... I mean, exhausted crowd as well. Exhausted crowd. This feud's been you know dead on arrival for some time now. No one thought that Brian Cage was winning the FTW Championship back. Like you say, we need to set up Ricky Starks for Punk. And all they'd be doing is taking more and more ridiculous weapon shots or spots in a match that, you know, at the end of the day is at the end of a long taping cycle, is at the end of Rampage. You know, and like you say, 
in in terms of a top ten mad spots or you know wild weapon things in AW, this isn't going to break any of them. But yeah, there was memorable stuff at least with the pool cue. Indeed, I like the pool cue stuff. Pool cue stuff. Um, <laughs> and again, like I can't fault any of this. It's a really long term story. They've tried to get paid, uh, Cage over. It simply hasn't connected. And they had an idea of, let's blow this feud over an ECW title in the home of ECW with a plunder match that the Philadelphia crowd are usually very receptive to. Strategically, yes, makes all the sense in the world to drag this out to this point, but if you do long-term storytelling for long-term storytelling's sake, it's just going to feel a bit transparent and boring and, like, dragged out. It, this is going to be one of those things that if we talk about at the end of the year, I'm going to need you to remind me that this happened after the summer. Because <laughs> I was like, I thought that got wrapped up in, like, May, yeah. brother. But, yeah, exactly, they continued on. Uh, before we wrap up, um, major thing to update fans on, of course, uh, is the AEW Rampage rap and the status of it all, Michael Sidgwick. I did a little rap for you on the Rampage preview to a mixed reaction, I think it's fair to say, not just from you, but from everyone in the What Culture office and certainly Twitter. And so I thought I'd ask, uh, and give the, we've got to give the people what they want. In the they want a goddamn match on a hog. <laughs> I literally watched a Best Friends match the other day and Jim Ross said that. Like, cheer up, man, for Christ's sake. So I tweeted, because of my hot fire that was spitting, Mackle more or Mackle less. And I thought, you know what? Let the fans decide. 54.8%, baby. And that means, guess who's getting another rap this week? Well, you know what it means? It means it's a margin of error draw. Damn you. Nah, you're Mackle more. You're, you're the real Michael. Oh, you'll, you'll, say, you'll say that until Friday when we got the preview, and then yeah. maybe you'll change your mind. Yeah, we'll see. How do you top yourself? Oh, is that your reaction to me rapping? You want to <laughs> yeah. top yourself? News, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm worried because I've, I've burnt through Twitch Grass and Grandfather Mouth. Grandfather Mouth. So I'm going to have to go deep in the back catalogue for this. But I'm what rhymes with iconic? <laughs> It's rampage time. That's just a tonic. Uh, iconic. No spoilers. Come on. Anyway, let us know your thoughts on AW Rampage on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch that. You can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Our SmackDown review is available right now. Our Raw preview is going to be coming later on today. And later on this week, actually much later on this week, because of Dynamite and Rampage being all weird this week, uh, we'll have previews and next week reviews of all the AW shows, of course. But for now, this has been the AW Rampage review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.